Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'd like to welcome you to episode 109 of Compliance Into the Weeds, a podcast where, with Matt Kelly, the coolest guy in compliance, founder and editor of Radical Compliance, we take a deep dive into the weeds of a compliance or compliance-related topic. Before I get to this week's topic, uh, as you know, the Compliance Podcast Network is always on the lookout for new podcasts. Have you ever wanted to start a podcast but didn't know how? Well, if you've thought about it, please take a listen to this week's sponsor, One Stone Creative. If you are enjoying this show, you might enjoy hosting your own. As an expert in your field, you have skills, knowledge, and insight that can help you expand your practice, meet new people, and create amazing content to share with the world. In as little as two hours a week, you can dramatically change how you promote, fill, and position your business, and One Stone Creative can show you how. Learn more at onestonecreative.net. In this episode, Matt and I take a look at the imbroglio surrounding Virginia Governor Ralph Northam based upon the photographs which surfaced of him in either blackface or wearing Ku Klux Klan robes or perhaps neither, depending on who you believe. We take a look at not only ethical leadership, but why it's important that leaders set the tone for their organizations and how the trust that many employees feel in their organizations flows directly from the top. It's an interesting exploration on the intersection of current political imbroglios and compliance and the workplace. Compliance Into the Weeds is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, the Compliance Evangelist, back again with Matt Kelly, the coolest guy in compliance, for another episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. Today, we're going to take up the, uh, I want to say, sordid story of current Virginia Governor uh, Ralph Northam and the information that came out about him over the weekend in the context of Matt's blog post of February 3, 2019, Northam and Ethical Accountability. Matt, uh, first of all, welcome. Hello, Tom. Thank you. And congratulations. Uh, it wasn't the prettiest of wins, but it goes up as a W yesterday. Uh, yeah, I did watch the Super Bowl last night. I had to say it's uh, probably one of the most ugly sort of ungraceful Super Bowl wins possible. But yeah, you're right. A win is a win. And everybody here is very pleased. Uh, actually, I just uh, was amazed and and I'm still amazed that I think that was Belichick's best coaching job. And, and I just saw the ugliness or at least lack of offensive firepower, certainly on L.A.'s part, as, as Belichick's just genius defensive strategy. I was just amazed by that. Very true. So uh, on to Ralph Northam. He um, it surfaced a couple of pictures of him in a yearbook. Uh one was on his yearbook page from medical school, not college or high school yearbooks, where he uh, there were two individuals. One was dressed in blackface and one was dressed in the uh, white hood and robes of a Ku Klux Klansman. Um, Northam uh, first uh, apologized. Uh, he then said, well, it really wasn't me. Uh, he may have given a third story. I'm not quite sure. Uh, I can only say, thank God his wife was there at the press conference that uh, she prevented him from doing the Michael Jackson moonwalk because at one point he said that uh, they were impersonating Michael Jackson at a dance party. Uh, and that would have been disaster if he would have done that, even if he pulled it off. 
So in this sordid story, Matt, what did you see uh, or what struck you about ethical accountability? Well, you know, what really struck me, Tom, was um, when he when Governor Northam announced that he would not resign because he now believes that he was not in that photo. He doesn't recall taking those photos, doesn't recall seeing this yearbook ever. He claims that he was as surprised as anybody else when they surfaced last Thursday or Friday. Um, And of course, by the time he said, I am not going to resign, um, although I did once do a Michael Jackson impersonation and all of that, you know, frankly, kind of farcical nonsense of that press conference on Saturday. um, What there were many, many Democrats who were saying, you must resign. Your position is untenable, even if you are correct and that that wasn't you and you never did that and you didn't see the photo, you didn't put it in. You still have to go. But Ralph Northam was saying, no, I'm not going to go. And that may change as of the time, Tom, that you and I are talking. You know, he's saying he might resign if his position does become untenable. I kind of thought we already were there, but whatever. He may yet resign. But for now, he's here. And so what struck me was that what Ralph Northam is really doing by not resigning is he is telling others he will not hold himself accountable to that collective ethical standard which says when there are so many questions about your say racial sensitivities in the past and the propriety and your presence is too divisive, you have to go. That for better or worse, it was the collective ethical standard uh, that the Democrats were talking about. And governor Northam said, Nope, I'm not going to go. If you want to me to be held accountable to that ethical standard, you, I guess the Democrats, the legislature in Virginia, you have to compel me to be held accountable, either through impeachment or I don't know what. But, you know, they're, they're going to have to force him out because he was not adhering to the common ethical standard. And that's when I realized that whether Northam is conscious of it or not, he is employing the strategy of none other than one Donald J. Trump, who Time and again, we have seen since he declared his candidacy for presidency in 2015, clear up through today, this is Donald Trump's MO of he repudiates that accepted collective ethical standard that says uh, leaders must behave this way or they can't be leaders. He says, nope, I have my grip on power. I'm keeping it. You don't like it? Go ahead. Impeach me or something to that effect. He is essentially daring others to compel him. To that ethical standard. And he made a very calculated bet that Republicans in Congress wouldn't do it. And so far, he's been right. They hadn't done it. And I don't know that Republicans ever will come around to that. Um, And that got me really thinking about ethical leadership, especially under these enormously difficult circumstances, because I, I can be sympathetic to Ralph Northam if what he says is true, that he never did any of this. Now, he still has this Michael Jackson nonsense with blackface. And clearly, you know, if he can remember that, then why wouldn't he have remembered a second time in that photo? Or how did he not know that was offensive? Like, there's no really good answer here. But if he honestly did not do that, he was not either the Klansman or the blackface uh, character in the photo, and he never saw the photo, and he's saying he didn't do anything wrong, why should he be held to a standard that says you have to pay the price anyways? And that's really the question, is this need for leaders to follow a higher ethical standard, even when that standard does not seem fair to them. And I'm sure 
in his mind, it doesn't seem fair to him, but here we are. And so I, I mused about how important it, it really is for true ethical leaders to, to have this self-sacrifice that so far we're not seeing from him. And we certainly had not seen it from Donald Trump or a few others. We can get into that. Uh, Matt, you pointed towards the Edelman Trust Barometer for 2019, which was recently released. And that uh, had really some significant information that you put in your uh, blog post and in the greater report that I think is important for the compliance function, the compliance profession, and indeed the compliance professional. And uh, you start off by noting that 75% of respondents say they trust their employer more than any other institution. And given our fractured nature of government right now, and as you pointed out, the lack of uh, accountability by our political leaders, it has seemed to me that many people are looking to business leaders for not only leadership, uh, but also their own personal accountability. And if a business leader engaged in this behavior, I think the sanction would be much greater in terms of reputational damage to the company and indeed a, a dip in the stock price so that mm-hmm. you uh, have a, a fairly quick sanction. Um, really anything from your perspective on how this would tie into a business leader as opposed to a political or governmental leader? Yeah, yeah, it was interesting that the Edelman Trust Report put that out. And for those listeners who are unfamiliar with the Trust Report, it comes out every January. Comprehensive survey that Edelman, which is a PR and communications firm, I think, based in Chicago. They've been doing this for 19 years. They survey well over 30,000 people in 27 different countries around the world. So this is a statistically valid, important survey of how much different people put trust into different types of institutions. So sure, CEOs, you're probably thinking that's great. 75% of people put more trust in their employer than any other institution like the media or government or anything else. Um, Yes, that's nice. However, the other stats that the Edelman report included were very clear that um, employees expect CEOs then to you know, take that trust and and do something with it to help address some of the bigger problems in the world. So 71% say it is critically important for their CEO to respond to challenging subjects like political issues, national crises, even internally driven employee issues, which I'm going to bet are issues like sexual harassment, retaliation, misconduct, uh, fair labor standards, um, things like that. Um, 67% they are said they are strongly inclined to work only for a company that demonstrates some greater social purpose. And uh, some other interesting fact here was um, clearly demonstrating the company's values. And of course, the element report was a bit vague on what this actually means. But if you're looking as an employer to foster stronger trust in your employees, how would you do that? One of the best ways to do that is to clearly demonstrate the values the company talks about, really put them in the practice. So when you take all of that together, um, it really says that employees are looking for organizations that are really grounded in ethical values, and the leaders have to put those values into practice. Um, And that gets back to these collective ethical standards that we all have, and how would an organization handle that if the leader, him or herself, is called into question? And that's exactly what happened with Ralph Northam. He was only called into question. Nobody has rock-solid proof 
that it is or is not him who did that very dumb, very offensive thing back in 1984, but it's called into question. And the ethical standards are pretty much like, guy, you gotta go. And he doesn't want to go. And so how is the organization going to handle it? And how would a company handle something similar? Uh, It's relatively easy for a board of directors to solve a problem when they want uh, because they can just fire a CEO pretty relatively easily, much easier than, say, impeaching a governor or a president. Um, But you really have to think, is that what is in the best interests of the whole organization, whether that's a company or a state or a country or any other big body like that, having the ability to compel the leader to ethical accountability, that's nice. We should have it. But actually going through with it is terribly divisive. And that's why it is so important that ethical leaders understand there's maybe a degree of self-sacrifice that could be involved someday even when it sucks. And for Ralph Northam, I'm willing to bet this sucks. But if you really want to have Virginia tear itself apart, then staying in office, Ralph, that is just the way to do it, because that's what will ultimately happen here. And that's sort of where I was going with the importance of it across different types of organizations, including corporate. Uh, Let me take things in a little bit different direction, Uh, yet in uh, one of the other points you touched on in your blog post, because I've been thinking a lot about Northam in the context of Brett Kavanaugh. Yeah. And uh, Kavanaugh, as most of our listeners will recall, was accused of uh, sexual assault. Uh, No proof uh, of that sexual assault. His uh, accuser, he didn't face his accuser, but his accuser uh, testified in open hearing in the Senate. Uh, I I certainly found her testimony credible, but what I did not find credible and what I thought uh, disqualified Kavanaugh from sitting on the Supreme Court was his response. And it was the most intemperamental, non-judicial temperamental response that I've ever seen in a Senate hearing. Uh, What I uh, was greatly disappointed in in Governor Northam and indeed what what I found the most objectionable was his response. His response was not that he made a mistake. It was not to, or perhaps acknowledge accountability. Uh, It was um, the same strategies, as you noted, have been employed by the president. Uh, Obstrificate, uh, say it wasn't me, uh, deny, or just uh, say, come and get me. Mm -hmm. And that uh, had he um, asked for, uh, forgiveness, uh, had he attempted reconciliation, perhaps we'd be having a different conversation. The same with uh, Brett Kavanaugh. But we have now seen the responses to these uh, both very damaging accusations against both men, I've found completely wanting uh, within both the public and private sphere. Yeah, you know, I had mentioned Brett Kavanaugh in my post as well, because I had thought that there are a lot of parallels between what he did what allegations were leveled against him and how they were against him um, and what has happened here with Ralph Northam uh, is that, you know, basically Brett Kavanaugh forced the issue and that was a terrible thing. And that alone, I thought, disqualified him from serving on the Supreme Court, regardless of Brett Kavanaugh's political leanings or his judicial predilection for conservative interpretation of the law. I get it that Republicans are in charge, they're going to put somebody like that on the court. However, that 
is irrespective of the fact that he basically acted like he was entitled to this. And he isn't. He's not entitled to a Supreme Court seat, no matter how well qualified he may or may not be. And even if he were as uh, liberal on the author, uh, other end as he is on the right wing, on the conservative end, that's got nothing to do with the fact that he said, I am going to compel others to hold me accountable if they dare. And you know what happened was that they were going to go through this very difficult, very divisive hearing, and Republicans were going to ram him through number no matter what, which is exactly what happened. And he really smeared his own reputation on the court because every single decision that he renders or vote that he casts that seems to have political favors toward the right – The left is going to view that as somewhat suspect forever, and he's going to tarnish the Supreme Court as a partisan thing. The proper thing for him to do would have been, A, to probably just apologize. I had no memory of what I might have done. B, uh, potentially just said, it's going to stain the court if I am there, so I'm going to take a pass. Even though he was clearly born and bred from a conservative test tube, Back way back when to be a Supreme Court justice, when that cup was finally put in front of him, the ethical thing to do would have been to say, "Uh, my presence is going to tarnish this. I'm going to take a pass, even though that sucks for me. That's self-sacrifice. That's what he should have done. And then they could point appoint a different right wing judge that did not have these allegations around him or her. And life would have gone on. Um, Similarly, with Ralph Northam, he should say. My presence here is going to smear the the trust that people have in government, and therefore I should go. I would have no problem, for example, with Ralph Northam resigning now and running for another term as governor in 2021. I think under Virginia law, he would still be eligible to do that right now if he gets out before 50% of his term is done. Um, but you know, there'd be nothing wrong with him trying to redeem himself at some point in the future. But forcing people to hold you accountable to some ethical standard. Doesn't matter if you think it's fair or not. Doesn't matter if you like the circumstances or not. If doing that is going to be so divisive and look at what Donald Trump has done to this country, making it so divided against itself, that is not good principled ethical leadership. It is raw exercise of power. And that prevents the institution, whether it is a company or a state or a government or whatever Uh, from trying to reach bigger, broader issues and achieve greater things. And sure enough, in this country, we can't achieve any of the big issues that are confronting us as a nation because we're too busy bickering with each other on Twitter. And we have all worked at companies that have the same problem. We only are stuck there trapped with raw exercise of power of one group over another. And we are interested in fighting and backstabbing and infighting and quibbling over details because Nobody is able to set a bigger standard, rally employee trust in the whole company, and then have the company go on to achieve bigger and better goals. And um, that's that's what ultimately I think will happen to Virginia if Northam doesn't see the light and uh, realize that his time is up. So uh, can we perhaps end by uh, seeing if we could come up with a couple of thoughts that perhaps the compliance practitioner could take away I've been really thinking about that uh, over the weekend and in the context of your blog post and and your comments today. And it seems to me that um, the 
CCO may uh, more than once now need to move towards a CECO to have an ethics component and to actually talk about ethical behavior because of what you said that people want to work for a company they have pride in. They want to work and be associated with an organization they can hold their, hold their head high in, in addition to just the business reasons, wanting to work with a successful organization. Really, any thoughts on that? Yeah, you know, I had been struggling a bit to say, what are the practical takeaways for a compliance officer? Because it sounds almost trite to say more ethics training for your leader to understand what ethical leadership is and what self-sacrifice is. I, there's a certain school of thought that if you have to be told what self-sacrifice and selflessness is, you're probably not that good at it anyways. And I kind of see the sense in that. Um, but I do think that you know, certainly you could take some of the findings from the Edelman Trust Report, for example, and bring them back to CEOs and the board to say that these are issues that are probably existing within our own organization. You know, maybe see how well your employee population measures against some of those questions in the Edelman Trust Report. And they've got a whole section about the relationship between employee and employer and the trust and the expectations they have of senior leaders these days and are are senior leaders at your own senior leaders. Are they really, are they aware of those implications? Um, You know, I don't necessarily know that there's a training course you could roll out for the C-suite about self-sacrifice, but at the very least you could talk with them and, you know, tell people, would we really know how to handle something like this? Um, You know, and as an aside, I, I won't go too far down this rabbit hole, but there's that business book out there, Good to Great, written by Jim Collins, came out in 2001, where he looked at organizations that had been around for a long time and were respectable, but not stellar in their performance. And then they started to achieve outstanding performance relative to their peers. And why was that? And he did say the very most important key was strong leadership from the CEO. He actually identified five different classes and a level five leader was the best, and they were the ones who really drove organizational excellence. And if you drop that into your talks with the board and the CEO, better performance, organizational excellence, like then they'll perk up. Um, but he did say that the most common trait of these great level five leaders was humility and selflessness and an awareness that uh, you know the burdens fall heaviest on them. How would a CEO at your own organization handle this burden if something this awkward and unfair came to the company? Um, you know, better to have those conversations ahead of time when there's no particular burden than to have them on the fly when a real burden has come along and the whole employee base is at each other's throats and everybody's clamoring about you on Twitter and in the media and everything else. Um, that is not the time for somebody to figure out just how ethical and self-sacrificing their leaders are. Best to try and get a better sense of that ahead of time. That's that's probably all I could say. Well, Matt, we're bumping up on the uh, on the half hour, so we're probably going to have to uh, end this discussion. But uh, it's been a fascinating exploration of not only the th- philosophy of ethics and ethical accountability, but some of some of the practical tips for the compliance practitioner. Matt and I have been visiting today about Ralph Northam and uh, Matt's blog post, Northam and Ethical Accountability. Matt, I uh, look forward to uh, seeing what next week brings us. Thank you, Tom. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of Compliance in the Weeds. 
you're interested in letting us know your Super Bowl prediction, please email me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com or email Matt at mkelly at radicalcompliance.com and we'll keep a running tally. We'll certainly report on the results in our podcast next week. And I hope you'll join us as Matt and I once again take a deep dive into a compliance or compliance-related topic. If you would like to start a podcast, please think about joining the Compliance Podcast Network. It's the largest social media presence in compliance. This is Tom Fox. The Compliance Into the Weed podcast is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.